Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm your host Manu Feit. Stefan Bienkowski is still on his, I don't want to say much deserved honeymoon. He's just on his honeymoon. Um, but that's okay because I'm not joined by one, but two guests. And joining us for the first time, I think, uh, is Marie Scholte Bockum a freelance journalist, sports journalist based in Munich. Um, she's done quite a lot about the Bundesliga and I think she can give you a much better overview of what she does than I can. But first of all, Mary, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm tuning in from Munich and uh, I love talking about the Bundesliga in English. It's kind of like my weird little niche. So really happy to be on. Yeah. In from my hometown, born and raised in Munich, of course. Um, I miss it. I'll be back soon. So yeah, thanks for, for joining the show today. And as I said, two guests today, really the triple M's, uh, Manuel, Matt and Mary. Matt Ford is, you know, you, you're becoming quite a regular on this show, Matt. Um, what did Chris say the last show? He's like a bad smell. He won't go away. I don't think that counts for you though. I think it's more down to, uh, Stefan who keeps going on holiday and taking, yes. taking random breaks, uh, yeah it's true um stefan has been on a very long break but matt how's it going you go good yeah all good thanks um quite a uh quite a fan intensive weekend um i attended two games this weekend from the yeah on the on the terraces so i was i was on the zootribune in dortmund on friday night Mm. Uh, which we'll discuss, and I was in the uh, in the Gester block in the away end in Frankfurt yesterday uh, to see Cologne's one-one draw. Um, so yeah, it's been quite an intensive weekend. So now now we can try and make some sense of it. Yeah, we, we were sense of it, and I saw the photos, Matt. Uh, extremely jealous of you being able to go to games, um, and I think we have a ton to discuss. So guys, before we do it. A little break for our partners. This episode of the Gegen Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wages, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, um, Matt, let's start with Dortmund. You know, uh, the post-mortem on a horrendous start to the season. That's one win, two draws. Um, this draw, though, in particular, the 2-2 against Heidenheim, um, yeah, I think we all heard the boos and whistles. You were right in the middle of it. You attended this, um, game in, in, as, as you said, um, on the Südtribune rather than the press box, which is a very different perspective, right? Let's start here. How was it? And how did you perceive this reaction, um, by the fans? Um, I mean, the first thing that struck me was the the direct comparison with the the action of the of the yellow wall uh, on the final day of last season against Mainz. Um, I was at I was at that game in my like usual capacity in the in the press box, and what was remarkable, despite the events of that day, uh, which were um, you know, even even more catastrophic from a at least from a Borussia Dortmund point of view, was that. Uh, at least after the immediate silence, which which followed the full time whistle against Mainz, the uh, the supporters reacted by, yeah, chanting at the players to stand up, stand up, um, applauding them, singing for them. Uh, you know, the, we had those famous famous images of uh, of the players and particularly uh, the coach Edin Terzic stood in front of the Zootribune with tears in his eyes as the as the fans shouted his name, chanted his name. Um, and the idea was that they would, they would rebuild from there, uh, this time at full time. Um, there was, com- uh, there was a completely different reaction. Um, I've, I've never heard, I've never heard booze 
and whistles like it uh, in in Dortmund, um, and I've I've been to that stadium dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I've never heard that sort of reaction. Uh, it was absolutely furious. Um, admittedly, maybe partly to do with uh, a series of, uh, of VAR calls, but ninety percent due to the performance of Borussia Dortmund. Um, and when the players, um, yeah, dared approach the uh, the 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 Zoo Tribune full time, they were they were told in no uncertain terms uh, to uh, turn around and go the other way. Um, so yeah, certainly a certainly a market uh, a market contrast. Why do you think it was such a big contrast? Why the the, the such a positive reaction after throwing away the title to this? It seems like such a big turnaround in the span of just three games. Um, you might be able to find the best answer to that in uh, the podcast that you did to match uh, for match day one when I was here, and, and maybe copy and paste the audio out of that because the same adjectives apply. Dortmund were sloppy. Dortmund were laborious. Dortmund were slow. Dortmund were lacking in any sort of offensive ideas, um, misplaced passes from start to finish, uh, chances going begging, um, and um, yeah, new new signings failing to have anywhere near the sort of impact which uh, which which coaching staff and fans alike um, would expect. Um, add to that the constellation whereby. Yeah, this is not, it's not, it's not just like throwing a, throwing a lead away, um, against any other established Bundesliga team. You're talking about, um, one of the smallest teams to have ever, uh, played in the Bundesliga in, um, in, in Heidenheim. Um, um, a team, yeah, who I think, I think we're still looking for their first away goal, um, in the Bundesliga and, 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 and of course got it. But, um, Yes, that, that obviously adds to the frustration from a Dortmund point of view. Um, although it must be said at this point, before, maybe before we go any further, that take absolutely nothing away from Heidenheim, who, um, I think after, after struggling for the first 20, 25 minutes or so, uh, actually really, really found their way into the game. And, um, yeah, with a bit more luck and a bit more, yeah, slightly more clinical finishing, um, could probably, you know, could potentially even, even have inflicted a, 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 an even more embarrassing defeat on Dortmund. So for, so yeah, absolutely hats off to, to Frank Schmidt and, uh, and, and Heidenheim. But for Dortmund, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a catastrophic start, particularly with the fixtures that they had, you know, um, Cologne at home, Bochum away, Heidenheim at home. With all due respect, they're not the, uh, they're not top draw Bundesliga opposition. Um, and to have dropped four points already is, uh, yeah, there's there's no other way of putting it. It's it's a it's a terrible start. Marie, how do you see that the situation in Dortmund? Yeah, and I mean it's fascinating. The fan reaction, it's it's really interesting for me to hear Matt's perspective from being in the stadium because um, we all know that this is a team that feeds off the energy of the home crowd so much. Um, and I did watch the entire game on Sunday and sorry on Friday night, of course, and. It was shocking, just even just how good the Heidenheim attacks were. Now, we, I mean, I said before the season that Heidenheim, I think, is the stronger of the promoted teams. I actually, in when I predicted the the final table, I think I had them at 14th or 15th, um, just because they have a very attacking side and a very, very good coach. But still, I mean, you got to ask yourself as Dortmund with the defensive quality that you have, is that the barometer, you know, with the Champions League coming up um, and having these massive holes in the last third? Um, they were, Heidenheim was able to kind of jump past the midfield a bunch of times. Um, I think something that gives me hope uh, for their future performances is that Bino Gittens is, has returned to fitness. Um, Duranville is is getting closer as well to, to, to full match fitness. Felix Metscher, um, you know, he had a bit of a tough start to the season also with some hurting, uh, muscles here and there. So you, you do have options. And then, I mean, not to get all desperate, um, but given that Sebastian Alea is in poor form, Karim Adeyemi is in poor form, it might be worth looking towards Paris Brunner as well, um, who won the under, um, under 17 World Cup, sorry, the Euros, I think it was with, with Germany this summer and recently got the uh, Fritz Walter medaille for Germany's best youth product in his age group ahead of Noah Davish and Asan uh, Oedraogo. So two huge talents at Barcelona and Schalke respectively. And 
he he's a goal scoring threat. He's had a great start to the season. He's scored in every game. And maybe that's what the team needs is someone, you know, same goes for Duran Ville and Bino Gittens or even Gio Reyna, who I think is now fit again, someone who has nothing to lose and can inject some positivity because Adeyemi didn't really use this opportunity um, to show the coach that he should be a starter in the last game. And the only player I think who is has any attacking quality, um, you know, who's being able to translate that onto performances on the pitch so far has been Julian Brandt. And that's just not enough for a team that has so much quality in the squad. I mean, at the same time, though, you're now in a situation where with three games in, the international break is on, Mary, and um, there's a certain unemployed coach living outside of Munich <laughs> who's already being mentioned with the possibility of going to Dortmund. Of course, you know, I, I still think we're a long way away of um, Dortmund firing one of their own, but it's kind of telling that we're already at the stage where other coach names are discussed yeah. at, uh, at Dortmund. Yeah, with Nagelsmann, I, I think with all due respect, he's probably reaching a little higher for his next employer um, than, you know, Bundesliga top four team, which is what Dortmund is. Um, but I, I see Dortmund as kind of year on year internationally being happy with reaching the, the second round in the Champions League, you know, and I don't think that's quite... Uh, Nagelsmann's aim. Otherwise, he could have easily just gone to Tottenham, for example, um, who have a similar kind of club quality, team quality, stadium, etc. But I think he's waiting for that very, very highest, uh, maybe top 10 European club, um, both in terms of, you know, um, squad quality, but also financial quality. Um, and also, I, I don't think he would fit very well at Dortmund. You know, he made a lot of mistakes to do with young age and maturity at Bayern. And uh, Dortmund is just as hard an environment to work in. So I don't see him as a threat to Terzic. But I do think that Terzic will probably have a few uncomfortable meetings with the higher ups in the international break where, um, you know, he's kind of used up some of those brownie point reservoirs that he perhaps developed in the past season. And I, I do think there's, I mean, he's so, so, so good at selling himself and he's very calm and he's a very good ambassador for the club, but it's, it's starting to, and I'm not a Dortmund fan by any means, but it, it, as a football fan, it's, it's even starting to annoy me, this kind of folklorish quality of him. Uh, you know, this isn't Mainz. This, this isn't some, small rural team this is a huge global club and it, just by saying oh the fans are so disappointed you know that's not enough that's not enough for the amount of quality that is in this squad and he's not gonna like charm his way out of this um is, is kind of my view uh, matt that's really interesting because we had this conversation bef before the podcast um and i think you had some thoughts on this as well when it comes to Eden Terzic, but also Sebastian Kiel and some of the signings that they have made. Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, maybe he's right to point out some of the some of the positives at Dortmund. And I think if you are going to be optimistic and positive about it, then the one thing to point out is that it can only go up from here. It, I think it can only get better. So in that sense, I think it's right to point out yeah, the, the return of uh, uh, Julian Doranville, Jamie Bynell-Gittens, uh, who um, he came on to a sub against Bochum, didn't he? Um, Mokoku came on against... Uh, Against Heidenheim, Gio Reina returning to returning to the squad. Um, that's all fine, and I think as we pointed out last time, um, Terzic made no bones last season about uh, about the impact he wanted his substitutes to have, and he he, he spoke often about the yeah you know, what what he called the depth in his squad. Um, I suppose that's one way of looking at it. Um, on the other, on the other hand, you could look at it as uh, maybe a, a reliance on impact super subs off the bench. As if you're being critical, perhaps actually a maybe an, an admission of um, a certain lack of other ideas of, of other solutions. I'm, I'm not sure if uh, constantly relying on uh, yeah, young young additions uh, for for impact off the bench is necessarily a um, a, a, sustain, a sustainable, sustainable approach, um, and yeah, as we were as we were talking about before, um, so much of Dortmund's 
I suppose transfer policy, club philosophy, whatever you want to call it, over the past few years has been has been based around um, you know this you know, good scouting networks, purchasing well, particularly looking at young talents from um, from Ligue 1 in France, from 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 England, um, and giving these players a platform. I think that's everyone's well aware of that. Uh, but there's been a massive departure this summer, and I think we mentioned that uh, last time as well. The new additions they brought in this summer are not of that caliber at all. They're all supposedly established, proven Bundesliga talent to, to one to be or another in Benzbaini, Sabitzer, Metzger, and, um, and yeah, obviously most recently Nicholas, um, Nicholas Fulkrug. Um, and yeah, I, I, I wonder what the logic is behind that, uh, what behind that, behind that changing, that changing approach. Um, and I think, if you're being overly critical, you could suggest that have, yeah, is is the attempt to bring in established players perhaps an attempt to hope that to hope that those players will use the experience to sort out problems um, automatically um, because the ideas aren't coming from elsewhere. Um, and I think at some point, uh, Terzic and Kale are probably going to have to answer those questions because um, at least on the on the evidence of the three Bundesliga games so far, um, there's not. Much of a plan. Okay, so that, <laughs> I find it really interesting what you said there, Matt, and I agree with it. Um, with that in mind, and before we move on to other topics, um, because I think we feel I feel we have talked about Dortmund quite a bit, and I think we need to dissect this further. Maybe once the international break has come and passed, and they had another game to play and see if it gotten better. Um, but and I'm going to take this. Both, to both of you. So maybe Mary to you first, but Niklas Vilkrug, panic buy, yes or no? I mean, yes, clearly. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's got to be a cursed transfer. You know, this is a player I've seen live in the stadium in my capacity as a reporter three times in the past few months. And he he is someone who can lift up his team, not just not necessarily in terms of sporting quality, although he's definitely proven that as the top goal scorer last season, but also just mentality. You know, he's extremely focused when he comes on for warm up. Um, he kind of helps build up younger players. Uh, he's a great role player, as we as we keep seeing. You know, you can lob a long ball in kind of desperate moments like the end of the Heidenheim game he's he's a really useful player because he can um you know stop a ball um pass it score um he's great for set pieces because he's good at heading the ball and um yeah obviously i think his technical ability isn't quite to the standard of sebastian alea but um, it, it's good that they have a different type of player and who's also happened to be a clear number nine, like Alea, but who has different strengths. So why not, you know? Um, I just, I think kind of like Matt was hinting at the fact that they they recruited so many established Bundesliga players and actually so many German or German-speaking players this summer is, is a clear change. And it surprised me as well because it, that is something that has not worked for them in the past five to ten years. Every time they've done that, you know, when they signed Maximilian Philipp for 20 million, when they signed Nico Schulz, you know, the infamous example, um, with the with the tiny exception of Julian Brandt, every time they've signed Bundesliga players, it's been awful. And um, it's, to me, it's also a bit of a lack of aspiration because... You know, Bayern sign players to compete in Europe, and it seems like Dortmund sign players to compete in the Bundesliga. Um, because you, with all due respect, you can't tell me that like Sabitzer is someone who's gonna necessarily lift them to a new European level. Um, so it, it's interesting. Um, but I, I do think that their path that they've trodden before of integrating young players, you know, just because they didn't sign those this summer, they signed Duranville in the winter. Uh, like I said, they have Paris Brunner. They have some very good youth products from their own team currently out on loan, like Tom Rote, for example. Um, and uh, Jinma, I think, is that Bremen? I don't know if he's on loan or if, if that's a, a permanent deal, but he also played very well this weekend. So... Um, they're, they're doing something right, but it's just, it, it's a lot of, they, they kind of lack, even in recruiting and from a sporting director perspective, they lack their 
their spark and their imagination that made them so so great um, in the past few years. And I do think that's concerning and shouldn't be uh, shouldn't all just be pinned on Edin Tjasic, who did you know very much get them close to their first Bundesliga title in ten years last season. And um, yeah, so we shouldn't suddenly completely say he's an awful coach because they did play a very very good second half of the last season, a very good Rückrunde with pretty much the same personnel minus Jude Bellingham, of course. All right, Matt, your thoughts? Fulgrug, panic buy or not? Not necessarily panic buy. Um, obviously, I think Mary's right to point out that he obviously has his qualities. He, he, he proved that he proved that to Germany for Germany to an extent as well. Um, and yeah, particularly in those in those scenarios, in you know, when you're chasing a goal in added time, he he he, he can obviously um, obviously play a role. The bigger question for Dortmund is why they even find themselves in those situations in the first place. And I don't think Nicholas Fulkrug is a solution to that. Um, and then there's also the issue that if you are, and we might go on to this next, if we are looking at um, you know, top you know, top level strikers who are at least top you know, tri- strikers with top potential, um, you only have to look at Bayer Leverkusen um, who have um, who have managed to find um, an extremely good striker um, and you know, argue with the sort of profile of, of player from the sort of league um, that Borussia Dortmund would traditionally um, have been have been looking. Of him talking about Victor Boniface, um, and um, yeah, it seems it just seems like an, an interesting difference that uh, he's landed in Leverkusen, whereas uh, Dortmund have found themselves fishing around for yeah, not yeah, as as, as Mary was saying, top top four level Bundesliga strikers perhaps. I love that you took my transition straight out of my mouth. <laughs> Oh, it, it wasn't yeah. planned, trust me. <laughs> no, that's exactly my transition I was going for. Because <laughs> like, I was going to go to Leverkusen next and I was going to use uh, Victor Boniface as my transition um, <laughs> to talk about Leverkusen. So well done. Um, great minds, I uh, think, alike, I guess. Um, because you're exactly right. I mean, Bayer Leverkusen did sign uh, Victor Boniface um, for... 20.5 million from Union Saint Gilles, right? Um, and this is a player that has worked out really well for them. Four goals in three games, two assists as well. Leverkusen have been flying, guys. They, the way that Javi Alonso has been playing, um, you know, there was hints of it, I think, before the season started that they could be for real. Um, the way that they have signed and found players, not just not just Boniface, I mean, Granit Xhaka is turning out quickly to be a real, real good signing as well. Um, I just feel that, you know, I'm always very, very reluctant naming Leverkusen a potential title challenger because I lived through the early 2000s and late 1990s and I saw them throw away title opportunities like no one else. I've seen them start really well in the Bundesliga campaign and fizzle out. Um, the one with your pine in charge and Tony Kroos on loan uh, comes to mind. And I guess, Mary, let's start with you then. From what we've seen from Leverkusen, are they for real? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you in the sense that I think the hype is a bit premature. I think the praise is very much warranted and deserved, um, and it, both in terms of the coaching and the recruiting. Um, for example, uh, Victor Boniface, Eintracht Frankfurt wanted him as well. Um, you know, they were very interested in the player for months. Um, and of course, they also saw him in the European competition, um, where he played a very good conference league season last year. That's where I first saw him. Um, when he played against Leverkusen, I believe it was, uh, but he also played against Union, I think. Um, and, yeah, the fact that Leverkusen got him for what's now turning out to be maybe a bargain price is, speaks speaks for them and their reputation also with, with young players, which is super important. Um, and, of course, like you said, in the late 90s, early 2000s, they built that by making um, a few, you know, especially from South America, uh, building the careers of a few huge players. Um yeah, I, it's Leverkusen, you know, let's be honest. <laughs> they always mess up, <laughs> usually in the spring. Um, and, uh, I think Chaka could turn out to be their most important signing just because it lessens a little bit the dependence on Florian Wirtz, um, which I believe cost, um, 
Seuana his job last season uh, because the team was just so, so dependent on Wirtz um, in the middle of the park. And it's always dangerous when you're dependent on such a young player and on one player because this is an 11 man or woman sport. Um, and Chaka, you know, he's, he's, I think sometimes he gets reduced to being a defensive player, but he, he's a very good passer. Uh, he's very reliable. He's a good leader on the pitch. He really kind of is someone that the young players like, uh, Frimpong or Tapsoba can orient themselves on. And he takes a little bit of the heavy lifting off, off their shoulders as well. Um, I, I think they'll stay at the top until the end. You know, they'll compete for the Champions League spots, but I don't see them challenging Bayern. I think if we have to assign that role now, to me, that will that probably be Leipzig. What do you think, Matt? Leverkusen, title challenger, too soon? Um, I'm going to contradict um, the very headline that I wrote today. I, don't, I mean, I'm not sure if, oh. the, if the piece has actually been published yet, and, because I actually totally agree with both of you, and particularly what Mary was saying. It, it is Leverkusen. Let's 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 all calm down. Uh, they have they have these nicknames and this reputation for a reason, and it has only been three games. Nevertheless, I have actually written a headline uh, which does actually refer to the words title challenge. So. Um, yeah, maybe that's maybe maybe jumping the gun a little bit too soon, but um, yeah, why not? I've gone for it. Leverkusen do look a bit different this season, and uh, I actually think that with um, with Simon Rolfers there in the spot and director role, uh, and particularly with Rudy Fuller having moved on, um, and uh, most importantly with, with with Javi Alonso there on on, on the touchline, I feel that like there's a bit of the old Leverkusen identity might have might have departed the Bayerina, perhaps. Maybe, but we'll obviously we'll know we'll know more come come, come April and and May obviously. Um, the start's been really, really, really impressive. Um, yeah, we've we've already we've been through Victor Boniface. Um, yeah, that, that's who I've who I've been who I've been writing about today. Um, the yeah the various roles he fulfills in the team. It's not just his scoring. He scored three different types of goals as well. Um, he scored you know front, front post header against Gladbach uh, last week. Uh, this week it was opening the scoring with a fantastic dribble which left a couple of Darmstadt players sprawled out on the turf and then he culminated it with a nice little chip uh, to finish so you know, really good variety of goals he's involved in the build up play uh, he, he's pacey off the last man um, Yeah, he, he can drop deep and perform perform that pivot role holding the ball up he really does seem to have absolutely everything um, yeah, it wasn't just, obviously we were questioning why Dortmund weren't looking at that sort of player. Obviously it's been mentioned how Frankfurt were interested, but the finances were a little bit uncertain because obviously the, uh, the, the, the big money deal for Kola Moani hadn't been done at that point because that all got done so late. Um, I believe Red Bull, Leipzig were also, were also interested, but, um, had reservations regarding his, regarding Boniface's injury history. He's already had two, uh, I think ACL tears. Despite his young years, I think when he when he was at uh, when he was playing in Norway, um, so I think that maybe discouraged them slightly. Um, but yeah, really really good start. Uh, I think it's four is it three or four four goals and a couple of assists um, already. Um, and yeah, as Mary was touching on, um, probably the even more important differences are taking place further back um, in midfield. Um, Jaka and Wirtz, I think, complement each other really really well. Um, What's been noticeable for a couple of the goals, I think, uh, away at Gladbach last week, but also, um, also this week against, um, against Darmstadt is some of, a lot of the, uh, the space that Florian Wirtz has found himself in in midfield. He seems to have loads of space around him. And I think that's, I think that's often down to Granit Xhaka, um, who, um, yeah, with his engagement in the game, with the way he puts himself about, I think attracts players to him, which in turn, uh, tends to open up a little bit of space, a little, a little bit more space for, uh, for, for Florian Wirtz to, to, to cause some real damage. So I think the two of them complement each other, um, yeah, really well. And, um, yeah, they fit into what is looking like an increasingly rounded um, and versatile uh, Javi Alonso team. Um, title challenge, who knows? Long, long, long way to go. Um, mm. But um, yeah, um, Leverkusen certainly have certainly have some of the key ingredients. What do you think, Manuel? Actually, I'm interested now. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I think I'm going to wait until the match day after the international break when Leverkusen go to Bayern. 
Um, I think if they get a result there, I'm going to lean myself out of the window and say that they are a title challenger. I do think that it, I've talked to quite a few sporting directors of other clubs. Um, I, I have spoke, spoken to Simon Rolfes a few times in the past. Um, I, you know, he's actually been on this podcast. <laughs> I need to add that as well. And I do think that, um, he's, I highly regard him. I, I also noticed that a lot of people around the league highly regard him. Um, everyone that I talk to from other clubs has mentioned that Leverkusen have had probably the best transfer window of all teams in Germany. And I think that's always high praise, right? When other teams mention um, a club, you know, um, and say this is a team that is going to be very dangerous. Um, it means that they have them on the radar. Um, and as Leverkusen and Leipzig came up uh, quite frequently, and I think that they have found all the right ingredients. Um, you know, the proof is in the pudding, as Stefan always says when he's on the show. And I think that that proof in the pudding will be at the Allianz Arena after the international break. And look, if they beat Bayern, then I'm going to say this is for real. Um, even a draw, I think I would say, you know, if you take a point at the, at the Allianz Arena, that's a really good scenario for you, right? Uh, it means that you're not dropping points to Bayern. It means that you're staying level with them. Um, and I think that. That is really where I want to see them um, perform at the highest level. I was really impressed by the Leipzig result as well. Um, you know, that was a bit tighter, but it was at home. So, you know, that is really where it is for me um, with Leverkusen. But I do think that I, I do think there's a chance that they are for real um, and that they can go all the way. Maybe, you know, to push for a proper title challenges, which, which is what we want. Um, so yeah, that's my opinion, Mary. <laughs> um, Thanks. I, something I just thought of actually, that's worth mentioning in case any of your listeners missed it. Um, Edmund Tapsoba, um, the center back, he extended his contract until 2028. Obviously, we're not sure. Maybe Manuel knows this <laughs> or you, Matt, um, if there's a release clause, but this is a player that was linked with a Premier League move, especially to Tottenham, um, pretty much the whole year. And, it's great that, uh, you know, it's a good sign of the the club's stability and also the club's ambitions that they can link a player like that to the club long term. And I'm sure in in the process, they probably upped his salary, which is also sometimes a gamble, you know, when you have high um, earning players for such long contracts, you're kind of saying, we believe we're going to play European football and at best Champions League football in the foreseeable future. Um, but it, it's a good signal also to other teammates, um, like maybe if we separate them into the top, top and, uh, slightly below, like, you know, Jonathan Ta, um, I think for, for the top, top talents, I would say that includes Frimpong, Wirtz, um, and below that maybe, I mean, Adli, um, and some other players. Um, it, it's, it's nice to see. And it's something that not all Bundesliga clubs can always pull off, um, so, yeah, we'll see. At the very least, if there's a kind of Ronda Colomani scenario, then Leverkusen will probably get a lot of money for him as well. I mean, people who listen to this podcast, the transfer show in particular, would have known that Tapsova wasn't going to Tottenham um, or that Piero Hincapié wasn't going to leave either, which is why you need to subscribe and listen to the transfer show because we do get those insights. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, yeah, contract renew. I think that's, you know, that's hard. That's the Javi Alonso effect. I wrote about that, um, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, he has players really want to play for him. Um, and they want to be around him. I spoke, I, I did an interview with Florian Wirtzen in November. Um, and he spoke in great lengths about how much it means for him to play under someone like Javi Alonso. And, you know, they were played, they were a couple of clubs coming in very late for Florian Wirtz. And they were rebuffed um, because the player doesn't really have any ambitions at the moment to leave. Yeah, Manuel, can is... you say a little? I mean, I was hearing from England from some some people there that Man City that Guardiola actually made a move yeah. for him. Um, is that is that true? Is that is that what you were hearing as well? Yeah, that's correct. But there was no chance. There was no chance. Not not until next summer. That's like the earliest anyone can go for Florian Wirtz. Um, he wants to be in Germany and prepare for the Euros. And he wants to play under Javi Alonso for at least one more season, maybe more. So good. Good for us. We can see him. <laughs> yeah. Keep, I, I'm, you know, 
I'm also not sure it's going to be Man City or any other Premier League teams um, that will ultimately win the race for him. Um, you know, that's it. But I guess that's a discussion for for the next transfer window and the window after that. Yeah, no, that's what I want to say. That's why I tell English people because English people obviously they never watch the Bundesliga. Let's be honest, and they were all like Marie uh, Florian Wirtz. You know, I'm hearing stuff with Man City. Can you confirm what type of player is he? La la la. Obviously, he was flying under the radar a bit last year because of the injury, but um, he, I see him more as a La Liga player, maybe, or, you know, maybe Bayern, but Bayern doesn't really need him, or maybe they do if Müller retires. Mm. I don't know. But like you said, it's, 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 a, that's all theoretical and probably a year away. He, he does like playing with Jamal. But anyways, this is totally off topic. I'll do maybe a great transition to what we want to talk about next, and that's Bayern Munich. Um, transfer chaos, disaster, um, deadline day fiasco. I mean, there's so many adjectives we can use for what happened on Friday at, at Bayern at the Sebener Straße. Matt, um, I've born and raised in Munich. I followed and covered this club for a very long time. I cannot remember a deadline day like this at Bayern Munich ever. Uh, certainly not one where they were unsuccessful. This whole Joao Palhina story, um, he was already there. They already had him holding the shirt even, you know, and the photographers were around and it just all falls apart. We have a transfer show later this week. So we're going to discuss that in even more detail, but what a fiasco. Um, and then, of course, the game against Gladbach, where they narrowly win. But let's let's talk about this deadline day stuff first, because I've never seen this. Um, Matt, your first takeaways from this? Um, yeah, sorry, my my mic was muted. Then, sorry. Um, yeah, certainly, well, certainly unusual. Um, not not the sort of ending to a transfer transfer window that you expect from Bayern Munich. Um, traditionally, extremely extremely well run. I think, as Uli Hernes has been saying since um, the quote was, "Yeah, not normally we laugh about deadline day. They're normally, you know, sat there with a vice beer on the edge of the Tegernsee by by that point, watching everybody else scrap around." Um, but probably the logical the logical consequence, isn't it, of the amount of sort of boardroom comings and goings that have been going on at Bayern over the past uh, six months. Obviously, the new sporting director, uh, Christoph Freund, has only been in only been in the job for a matter of well, a week, couple of weeks. Um, and, yeah, um, probably still some uncertainties at board level regarding the precise roles and levels of influence of Uli Hoeneß, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, uh, and how it all fits in. Obviously, even in Thomas Tuchel, you've got a coach who's only been in the job for barely six months. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think in many ways, m- maybe is a, maybe, maybe is a, is a fiasco if you're looking for a big headline. Um, I, I tend to actually think it's probably more of a, more of a logical consequence. Um, probably, Probably a bit, probably a one-off, um, and I think that you know, once once Bayern have got themselves got themselves sorted out, they'll be back to their uh, back to their their, their usual uh, modus operandi. Mary, how did you make it, and what adjective are you going to use for your headlines? Just wild. I honestly have to say, uh, I mean, between us, I, I worked the early shift that day, and um, I'm so happy that I worked the early shift, not the late shift, because I was. I mean, I, I, cy- I got up early, cycled to work to East Manning, where most of the Munich-based sports sites are, and then worked from like 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Sport 1, um, you know, doing the usual transfer, markt, ticker, etc. thing for, for um, you know, keeping tabs on transfers. And at that time, it was all about Joao Felix and uh, going to Barca and Cancelo. And there were some rumors about Thiago, etc., um, and, and then I left and then I just, I was at the gym and I just get all these like notifications, which I'm sure you guys got as well from Kicker, Sport 1, Bilds, international sites. And it's like, Ronda Kolomani fell through. It's happening. It's not happening. <laughs> and the same for, um, you know, everything about Palinia. Oh God, it was just, it was just wild. And then Bona Sosa randomly went to Ajax last minute, although he'd been linked with a, um, very much with a move to La Liga. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was, it delivered. Deadline day was 
I, I'm sure all the sports sites had spectacular traffic. Manuela, maybe you can confirm that. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I think I for Bayern, it was very unlucky. Um, I, I do think it was kind of... Uh, I mean, I, I think the deadline day showed the power and influence that Thomas Tuchel has. The fact that uh, Jan-Christian Dresen and maybe also begrudgingly Rummenigge and Hoeneß were willing to in the very in the last week or last two weeks negotiate uh, for a player who we all know was probably their fourth or fifth choice holding midfielder such a such a high transfer fee um, just to fulfill this wish for for holding six, um, but in the end it didn't happen. And I think Benjamin Pravat, although you know I I rate him extremely highly. He's been so consistent for them. He's played under every single Bayern coach. Um, you, it, it's like there's this German saying: "Reisende kann man nicht aufhalten." You know, if someone wants to leave, mm -hmm. you can't stop them. And he's wanted to leave since January. I think engaging, hiring Pinizza Havi is as big uh, an F you as you can, you know, deliver at Allianz Arena <laughs> after everything that happened with Lewandowski and Alaba. So his intentions were clear. Um, if anything, something that I would very much um, kind of hold against them is letting Stanisic go, who's shown that he can play big teams, that he can defend well, who is a homegrown talent. Um, people like that are also important sometimes for the, you know, we all played team sports growing up. You, you need players like that in the changing room who are just reliable, keep keep their mouth shut, um, get the job done. And loaning him when it was clear that Pava wanted to leave um, was just, to me, insane. Um, so I, I think that's a shame. Um, and I completely understand Tuchel kind of being very mad and kind of a bit whiny at the weekend. But with Palinha, I, I think that was just... Fulham couldn't find a replacement. And honestly, unless they sign him in the winter, in which case, fine, you know, then they still have their big games ahead. I think that could turn out to be a good decision because I, I did think that was a lot of money for a 28-year-old um, Fulham player. Uh, and yeah, that's just my perspective. I mean, his underlying stats are incredible. Wow, um, I was working the shift when all of this went down <laughs> working the phones as well. But um, I think it's it's bad news for Bayern they didn't get this done. It's good news for the Bundesliga because I think Palinia will be the player that they're missing. Um, you know, you, I, I, when I wrote my big article on him, um, I compared him favorably to Harvey Martinez and we all know what Harvey Martinez did for Bayern Munich. Um, especially in his first year at the club. So, you know, I think this is, this gives the rest of the league a fighting chance. Um, to be quite honest with you and, Mary, I'm going to go straight back to you because a fighting chance is what we saw um, from Gladbach. You know, is this just how it is now that when Bayern Munich play Gladbach, it's a game every time? <laughs> yeah, I was actually kind of saying that to some friends who are Gladbach fans. I was like, oh, you know, um, excited for the game today for the three points. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I... I, I just think Bayern struggles with teams that play football, that, you know, have um, skillful players that want the ball. They've always struggled against Gladbach. They've always struggled against Leverkusen. And um, it, it, this is just, it's a compliment to Gladbach that even after all their changes, they were really competitive in, in this game. Um, and yeah, but what you're saying about the Bundesliga, I I think Palinia is a player they would have needed in the Champions League, someone who holds his spot, um, who helps the defense. I, I don't think he necessarily changes things in the Bundesliga because I think even just the fact that Tuchel, Fields, Goretzka and Kimmich, who both like to attack, um, shows just like the the lack of, you know, tactical mastermindedness that's needed to beat these kind of Bundesliga teams with the exception perhaps of, of Leverkusen and, and Dortmund and, um, and maybe, maybe Union, um, if they play away in Berlin. And of course, um, who am I missing? Leipzig. But, uh, yeah, I think one name I want to throw in is Pavlovich, Alexander Pavlovich. I, um, called a lot of people in the past week after 
Thomas Tuchel praised him after the Augsburg game, which a lot of people interpreted as kind of a threat. Like, if you don't sign a Palinia, I will play this young kid. <laughs> but um, he he's very reliable and he's a good defensive player. He's a good leader. He's been with Bayern, um, with the academy since he was 11. He's from Munich. And why not? You know, like this is now their only kind of defensive midfielder who's mainly defensive in their squad. And I think against some weaker Bundesliga teams, we, we might see him in the starting lineup in the in the coming weeks. Mm -hmm. he, he's not the only one um, from the academy that stood out. Uh, another one's Franz Kretzek. Um, a remarkable story who, who hasn't featured yet, but, um, you know, he... He, um, has, you know, it's, it's really interesting because he had a growth spurt, um, a couple of years ago and, um, almost ended his career because he didn't know what to do with his body and took almost a year off of playing football. And, uh, when he was finally ready to come back, his amateur coach uh, asked him if he could play wing back rather than midfielder. And of course, we all saw the goal that he scored against Liverpool in, in the preseason, right? Preseason is preseason, of course, but. Um, he's stuck with the squad. He said he hasn't played yet, but he's been in the, in the squad every single match day, right? Um, and including the Super Cup. So missing out on transfer targets means that, uh, a head coach like Tuchel will have to go to the academy, academy, uh, an academy that Bayern Munich spends 70 million euros a year on, by the way, um, to, to find players. And, you know, maybe Plavolic is one, Kretzik could be another one. So it is really interesting. Um, the one thing that I need to point out though, Mary, and I'm going to stick with you here though, is I actually think this was a very limited Gladbach side. Um, the transfer window wasn't great. Uh, they lost a lot of tools. I, th I actually, let me rephrase that. I think the transfer window was great, but I don't think they, they have really found all the tools yet that they need for long-term success. Um, and of course, I, I'm thinking about the Leverkusen game and the way Leverkusen dis absolutely dismantled them. Yet Bayern Munich show up and all of a sudden there's a very different team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I wrote an article like I think everyone did early in the summer, like what is happening mm. at Gladbach? Why are they selling all their best players? I mean, obviously it wasn't really their choice in most cases, but I, I think an element that I don't think it's talked about enough is how good the coaches that they signed um, and he just fits the, the mm. club philosophy like a glove uh, with attacking football, possession-based football. We saw how much that improved in Gumu, for example. Uh, Plea is finally playing his position again, and I think he'll improve as the season continues. Uh, now they signed um, Jordan from Union and... Yeah, I, I, I'm not worried about them. I think everyone who was like, oh, Gladbach will be relegated. I don't see that happening. For that, the, the club is too well run. The struct, you know, structurally, it's very professional. Um, I, yeah, I, I think obviously Bayern should have beaten them, but I think that's on Bayern, not on, on Gladbach. Um, and Gladbach, for example, they have a great defense. Koitakura, I think on a good day is one of the best defenders in the Bundesliga. Wöber was a great signing. And um, Elvidi is still there, I think. <laughs> what happened to Elvidi? I, I know he was going to go for the longest time. Um, and Marvin Friedrich is a reliable backup defender. So, yeah, I, I don't know why I'm zooming in on Gladbach like this. I think because you were saying that you, you don't rate them very highly. But I think they'll probably um, end up in a one-digit position in the table. I, I don't see them kind of competing against relegation by any means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they just didn't have the tools that, you know, the tools that hurt Bayern in the past, I didn't think that they would have them this year, but I guess they still do. Um, Matt, and that, with that in mind, before we go to the game that you've attended, and I really want to really touch on that briefly because we have a big game to discuss on Sunday. There's a big Sunday game to discuss as well. The Bundesliga should really do more marketing this game as the, the true classica, eh? Because it actually is a competition every time. Um, it is, and obviously historically, there's the um, if you go back to seventies and eighties, you can argue that Gladbach versus Bayern is the uh, is the is the real classico in German football. The if you want, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, obviously, you know, if you go back to recent seasons, Gladbach have got an extremely good record against uh, against Bayern. Um, mm -hmm. Nevertheless, um, 
I was, I mean, first of all, when I saw the scores coming through, I was pleasantly surprised to see that they seemed to be repeating themselves this time by, you know, taking a lead against Bayern and then holding on for, holding on for so long. Um, however, must be having seen the game back, um, I tend to agree with you, Manu, a little bit more that, um, this wasn't really comparable to previous Gladbach performances against Bayern, um, of which I've seen quite, a, uh, which I've seen quite a few. Um, mm. particularly there was the one early on in the league. There was the, obviously the big cup defeat that, that Bayern had in Gladbach a couple of years ago, um, where Gladbach were really able to, to hurt Bayern with quite specific weapons, um, namely the likes of uh, Player and Turam um, on the break around those pivots of Stindl and uh, and Hoffman in the, in, in, in the middle. Um, I don't think that was the case this time. Um, I think, yeah, okay, they've they've taken the lead through uh, through Itakora, who we yeah, totally agree, totally agree with with Marie. Certainly one of the best one of the best defenders in in the Bundesliga. Mm. Nevertheless, they were under the cosh for 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 large per- for, for large periods. Thought uh, goalkeeper, you know, standing goalkeeper, uh, Moritz Nicolas was was probably was probably Gladbach's best player. Um, and yeah, looking back at it in hindsight, I think it was inevitable that Bayern, uh, Bayern would win the game. However, the fact, the, the, the reason this, that it wasn't as comprehensive as you think it, as maybe you would have expected it to be, uh, is definitely more down to, more down to, to Bayern's weaknesses rather than Mönchengladbach's strengths, um, this season. And again, yeah, sorry to bring it all the way back to Bayern, but I think that's probably the sort of consequence of this transfer window for them that, that we're going to probably have to get used to. At least for the rest of the uh, of the first half of the season, um, yeah. Uh, as has been touched upon, um, Kimmich and Goretzka are going to have to be a little bit more conservative. Um, I don't think chances for Bayern are going to be so easy to come by, um, and I think we might have to expect these sorts of quite unspectacular performances from Bayern in the Bundesliga. However, as we've also touched upon, um, and as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Um, Bayern's approach to the Bundesliga is not Bayern's approach to the Champions League, and I think um, you know they still have money to spend in January. And if they are able to land a couple more targets uh, that, that Tuchel wants in in January ahead of the business end of the Champions League, uh, that's when we'll that's when we'll, we'll maybe start to see a more um, yeah a, a more a more creative and and, and more dangerous Bayern Munich. Um, until then, I think these sorts of performances against Leipzig Gladbach uh, are going to be uh, yeah something we can get used to. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I think, you know, they've earned 70 million euros by selling Pavard and, um, Grafenberg plus add-ons, um, which basically cover the, the, the money that IX is still going to get for Grafenberg, right? So there's 70 million euros burning a hole at Bayern Munich. And I think they're going to spend that in January. Um, which makes me think that if this Bundesliga season needs to be interesting, it's from now till, the window opens on January 1st that cl- clubs need to take points from them um, because I think they're going to be much better come the spring when when they have, you know, always and now they have time, of course, to identify the players that they need is, is another important takeaway. But enough about Bayern. Um, there's a transfer show coming later this week where we're going to probably talk just about that. <laughs> so don't want to take away too much from it. Um, Matt, really briefly before we talk about the final Sunday game, how was in Frankfurt, um, Kolomorny gone, 95 million euros. It's a big fee. Um, it's such a big fee that Frankfurt actually confirmed the transfer fee in their official club uh, statement. But you were at the game. And I, as again, I want to just say we keep this briefly because we have a Sunday game still to talk about, um, the Sunday evening game. But how was the experience? Well, it was, my, it was my first visit to the Waldstadion since the, since the renovation of the, of the Nordwest quarter. Behind, mm. uh, behind the goal at Frankfurt, and if people have missed that, I think I hinted at it with, with the uh, the ticket price article that I did. Um, for so for any stadium nerds listening, mm. um, Frankfurt have expanded the terrace behind the goal from about about seven or eight thousand uh, places to to about to, I think to approaching twenty thousand in total, uh, bottom tier mm. and upper tier. So yeah, it's an impressive sight when you when you enter the ground. Um, yeah. Thousand up to up to twenty thousand standing fans across two tiers. Um, I think, like we said last time, as if as if Eintracht Frankfurt need any more noise. Um, also noticeable uh, again, bringing it back to to Moani was a huge banner across the front of the terrace at the start of the game, um, referring to and if see if anyone didn't, see if see if anyone's German's good enough to get the pun, but referring to Kohler Moani um, mm-hmm. and yeah. Kohler 
being uh, German slang for for cash for for money. Uh, yeah. yeah, the suggestion being uh, from the, at least at least from the from the ultras Frankfurt that uh, that that's the main motivator behind Colin Moani's Colin move. Um, and you know p- perhaps they're right. And in fairness, um, Marcus Kluscher, the sporting director, is, has actually made no bones about that. He said that at the very very last minute, um, Nasser Al Kaifi at PSG got involved personally with an offer up to what well, is it up to nineteen ninety five million euros which he said would be uh, economic madness to turn down uh, yeah, ultimately that's the reality for Bundesliga clubs when that sort of money is laid on the table. Uh, and yeah, uh, even Marcus Kluscher seems well aware of that. That he, even though it meant that it was far too late in the day to organise uh, to organise a replacement, uh, that is absolutely huge money for Eintracht for, for, for Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, so yeah, the the ultras might not like it, um, but yeah, un- unfortunately, it's the it's the business they find themselves in. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think turning down 95 million euros for a player, no matter what the structure is, um, because I'm pretty sure it's structured, uh, would be madness for a club like Frankfurt, especially for a player that you signed for nothing <laughs> a year ago. And you don't know if that player still is going to be worth that much money next year. Um, so yeah, I, I, I totally understand Frankfurt. Um, I think they, they did everything right here, but, um, Mary, we want to talk about the club that you think is going to be Bayern Munich's title challenger. Mm. Um, they've gone to Berlin, RB Leipzig. Um, and I have to say, I did, I did bet a Leipzig win uh, in the prediction show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I did think it would be a lot tighter. It wasn't, which was probably due to Kevin Folland seeing a red card. Um, but Union Berlin lose at home for the first time in 24 games. Um, we've talked a lot about Leverkusen and whether they are for real. What do you think of Leipzig? Are they for real? And of course, they have lost to Leverkusen, right? Yeah, I think one thing that has surprised me and maybe surprised all of us a little bit is how quickly this new team has found themselves. Um, because mm. it, it's, it's only two months ago that we were all kind of um, reading <laughs> obituaries of Leipzig <laughs> after Dominic Schoberschlei left. Uh, it was clear, then it was clear Guardiola was going to go. And it, it, it's just, they, they did lose some pillars of, of last season. And um, Max Eber, you know, was heavily criticized early in the window. Uh, but somehow everyone he signed, um, maybe with the exception of, of Baumgartner, who I rate very highly, but who has, hasn't quite found his space into the starting lineup yet, um, everyone has delivered. And Xavi Simons, to, who to me was kind of a YouTube highlights player or, a, you know, a PlayStation player more so than... Uh, you know, it, it's always a gamble when you bring in players from from the Dutch league uh, because it's quite fun for attacking players to play in the Dutch league, um, and it's not quite the same as the tactical uh, level or the just the quality, uh, the defensive quality, also in the Bundesliga. But he's he's done so well, um, starting with the Super Cup, and yeah, it's 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 so they're so good that even Timo Werner is now struggling to to find a sp- spot um, in their core team and of course he's been dismissed by Hansi Flick for the upcoming games um, yeah I mean I think Marco Rosa is the coach they've needed for a long time he's fully um, committed to the Rasenballsport identity if you can call it that um, I actually wrote a piece about Christoph Freund last uh, week and his background in the academy mm-hmm. and in the process of that found these old Imago um, image database photos of of Marco Rosa coaching Chave, uh, of, co- of him coaching Schlager and Schoboschlei and all these players that have been, that kind of came up through the Red Bull Academy system. And it really helps also with transitions of big, of, you know, players leaving, players coming in when so many players kind of grew up on that tactical philosophy. Um, and I think also, f- out of the big clubs, maybe with the exception of Leverkusen, this is the team that interests people the least <laughs> on a media level. So you don't have everyday um, kind of media breathing down their necks, um, although Rosa often feels like he's being attacked a lot. Uh, but, you know, if he were at any other club, that would be a lot more intense. Um, so I think the 
the conditions there for a title run are very favorable. Um, and uh, I think one player I want to uh, mention in particular for a single out for praise is Benjamin Henrichs, who's been exceptional this season and mm-hmm. um, really, really contributed a lot also on an attacking level. And I think he'll, if he keeps this form, if he stays healthy, he he might even be a starter for Germany at the Euros. So yeah, that's my two cents to Leipzig and their prospects in the Bundesliga. Hmm. Matt, before we wrap this up, anything you want to add? Not much, really. I think Marie's summed it up really well. The um, the, the Red Bull roller coaster goes on. Um, and just, yeah, um, we, we touched on it a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? About how obviously they, they went from the the high of the Super Cup win to the to the low of the opening day defeat. Um, yeah, no, I think yeah, they, they followed followed that up with with, with two with two good wins. Um, I, I would add one slight. Caveat from the game uh, against Union that I, I, I you might disagree. I, I actually thought the red I thought the red card was a little bit harsh. Um, uh, I, I think I, that I, was I, spot I, on. I direct red for me. It was for, for me. It was quite orange. Um, I can see the reasons why. I know the studs mm. are up. I, I know he's caught Shimachan's, um Yeah, it's above his angle. I know, I know he's had to. You know, I know he's had to be substituted. Um, that's fair. Um, However, I don't think there was any malicious um, intent to it, and I think on another day, um, I think a yellow card. Yeah, I think you could argue a yellow card would be a little bit too lenient, but I think a straight red is a little bit too harsh. So, yeah, different, slightly difficult one, and I think it changed the game. Because um, I thought before that, um, as, as as much as Union didn't create much themselves, neither did did, did RB either, to be honest. Um, apart from a, um, a series mm. of of long range shots, I think the goals when they did come were extremely well taken. Um, I think we mentioned Daniel. I mentioned Daniel Mo last time. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of his. Incredible player to watch. Obviously, he's really he's combined really well with Chesco for the third, and obviously, he's, I think he's set up the. Um, the is it the first or second goal? We, we, I think it's his ball think out of defence. Which Sesco goals? Yeah, but it's, it's, it's his ball out of defence, which sets up the one counter attack. Then again, they all find themselves in so much space, which is a direct result of Union being down to ten men. And like I said, um, yeah, in my opinion, the red was perhaps slightly harsh. Yeah, I, I spoke to a referee, and he said it was actually purple. That's how red it was. Um, <laughs> So I, I guess um, it really differs, but um, I'm not a referee. Chris Williams, if we had him on, Matt, he could explain to you probably quite well why he thinks that this is a fully justified red card. But like Stefan, Chris is on holiday. Um, I'm just going to add, guys, Manuel, I think it's also culturally, right? You know, like in the Premier League, mm. this may very well not have been a red. There was a similar scene um, in the Arsenal game which happened kind of around the same time, Sunday night. Um, and yeah, I think, I, you know, and I really appreciate about the Premier League that it's so much about fair play and good conduct. And you could see even during the foul that Folland was shocked that he hit him and pulled away and lifted his arms and apologized. And then really Orban kind of had to console him as he walked off the pitch um, I think the contact was there and it was the open sole, it was the boot. So yeah, technically with the rules, it, it is a straight red, but I don't think this, I don't think he'll be banned for like four games, for example, because this, it wasn't an evil. It was foul. malicious. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Not malicious intent. No, but you, the laws of the game do state that you have to be in full control of your body. Um, you can be. You can be, um, you know, uh, penalized for something that you didn't intend to do. Uh, so no intent, as you said, no malicious intent. Um, but you know, uh, I spent a lot of time with Chris Williams in, in a referee chat and <laughs> yeah, he would say that it doesn't matter whether the player wants to do it or not. It's just the, the consequences of the actions that, that they have to have to penalize by the, the laws, um, as laid out by EFAP. Um, anyways, guys. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I think like, we could have probably do this for another hour. Mary, ladies first. Uh, where can people find you? What should people read? Uh, what have you been up to? The floor is yours. Yeah, thanks. Uh, first of all, if you're in the US, um, you can usually watch me on match days on ESPN Plus, where I do the field interviews for the Bundesliga coverage. And I mostly cover the southwestern region. Um, so Augsburg, Freiburg, Hoffenheim, 
Stuttgart occasionally. Um, Stuttgart is always very fun. I'm really positive. I, I was there for the relegations game and I was mm. always really impressed by the atmosphere there. Frankfurt occasionally I do as well. Um, and I'm quite active on Twitter or X as we call it now. Um, and you can find me at Marie Schubo. So Marie with IE at the end and then S-C-H-U-B-O. And if you read German, um, you can follow my work on Sport1, um, so sport1.de. You can also use a Deepl translator, which I love <laughs> if you want to read them um, in English or whatever your native language is. And then I write for Forbes about um, sporting business topics, but that they're very lenient on that. So it can also just be a transfer story. Um, and I cover a lot of Bayern Munich for Forbes. So yeah, that's, that's me. And um, I love being on podcasts. So any of the regular kind of popular English language shows about the Bundesliga, um, I'm, I'm sometimes a guest there as well. Yeah, like this great show. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Mary. And Matt, how about you? Yeah, first of all, totally agree with Marie regarding Stuttgart. Absolutely love any chance I get to get down there. I was also there for the for the playoff uh, against against Hamburg, and it's uh, yeah that uh, among a lot of good atmospheres that that stood out. Uh, always always a good visit. Um, as for what I've been doing, yeah, as I said earlier, I've been predicting uh, Bayer Leverkusen title challenges, haven't I? So uh, I'm not sure if that <laughs> article's up yet. It might be up in the morning, but either way, it'll be on my uh, be on my Twitter. So it's Matt underscore Fordy. Um, so yeah, you can all uh, you can all tell me how pre how how premature I am with Leverkusen title challenges. But um, yeah, you know they've they've got they've they've not got form for bottling it, have they? No. Um, also, I may have written something similar just a week ago. On there you the go. Substack. You see, Man. all about all about the Leverkusen train. <laughs> yeah, all about about the Leverkusen train. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for coming on. As always, the show is brought to you by Bet Online. We'll be back later this week with more content. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> Ende in Sicht. Ende in Sicht.